Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. Looking today at uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 to 10. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. I think we've reached a peculiar moment in this country in which a form of conservative evangelicalism is proving empty. In the past several months, we've had several prominent kind of pop culture Christian personalities that have defected from the faith. Their explanations of why they have defected have seemed that they, for the first time, are asking themselves just basic questions. Marty Sampson, who is of Hillsong, which Hillsong is, if you're not familiar with the contemporary Christian music scene, he was the mover and shaker. He's the one that, if you go to any church in town that uh, is using contemporary music, they know who he is. But he recently said he's no longer a believer. The reason he says, he said, how many preachers fall? Many, and no one talks about it. How many miracles happen? Not many. No one talks about it. Why is the Bible full of contradictions? No one talks about it. How can God be loved yet send four billion people to a place all because they don't believe? No one talks about it. Christians can be the most judgmental people on the planet. They can also be some of the most beautiful and loving people. But it's not for me. Joshua Harris, who you may not know, but my children knew him well, he wrote the book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And he really founded a whole culture, or helped found a purity culture, for a generation. And he's now kissed his wife goodbye, they're getting a divorce, and he's kissed his faith goodbye. That there is a trend, not just simply, you know, you could go through all the mega church preachers, but you just sort of expect the sex scandals around the megachurches, but there is a mass defection. According to polls conducted by the Pew Foundation, if you would compare the generations, that 20% of Generation X, that is between 19, born between 1965 and 1980, would now claim no religious affiliation. But when you go to the millennials, 34% born between 1981 and 1989, would claim no faith. And now, if you go from those born between 1990 to 1996, some 36% of younger millennials have defected from the church. So there's a strange convergence that I think many people are seeing uh, in this political season, but just in this cultural season. A kind of subculture combined a po- political populism so you got disdaining kissing prior to marriage on the one hand and porn star sex and uh, other escapades on the other. And I think it's just proving the incongruence is pro- proving unsustainable. 
I suppose there's many explanations. You know, the notion, oh, there's two kingdoms. One, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. The other, which is the kingdom of earth. And so one in which the obscenest cruelties are required, while the other is all heavenly bliss. Maybe it's just the character of this God that people imagine, as the Hillsong writer says, that seems to be just sending most people to hell. Maybe it's the misogynistic cruelties, the inherent racism that you often find, certainly in, I think it's almost inherent in the megachurch attempt to attract people through entertainment, through a kind of upper class mobility. The manipulations of the super preachers, you know, that gain more and more members, more and more money, and more and more sex very often. And there's a kind of hothouse of anti-intellectualism and a ghetto of disengagement. Maybe it does, in fact, align with racist populist politics. And maybe the latter is the sign, the blurring sign of the emptiness of the former. It was interesting that in August of 2017, President Trump had to dissolve two of his advisory councils composed of people not normally regarded as obsessed with ethical reflection. That is that the CEOs he had appointed said they could not abide with his ethics. And yet at the same time, the evangelicals that he had appointed, they remained steadfast in their loyalty. So maybe names that you're not familiar with, Professor Wayne Grudem, James Dobson, Franklin Graham, Jerry Falwell, Ralph Reed, head of the Christian Coalition, Eric Metaxas, you could just name one after another. Prominent evangelicals then. This is Shane Claiborne has put it this way, trying to mix Christianity with a political party can be sort of like mixing ice cream with horse manure. It may not hurt the horse manure, but it certainly hurts the ice cream. And so many evangelical Christians, he says, will need a new home. Faith and I, we watched the documentary, The the Family, which the group that may not be familiar, but you're very familiar with what they do, and that is the National Prayer Breakfast. And the guy that wrote the book on it and is describing it, he says the name Jesus is just deployed as a kind of master signifier, that it's a kind of empty word. And the documentary then, it kind of hints at, oh, there's some kind of conspiracy, which I, I don't know about that. But it's certainly a replacement of any specific Christian doctrine or teaching. The organization even produces its own Bible. They've taken everything out but the four Gospels. And really they've replaced Jesus even with just ideology. The kind of the director of this, he's passed away, is a man named Doug Coe, who you've probably never heard of. And that was the way he liked it. But you can just see photograph after photograph of him with the various presidents and people in power. And his idea was the, the work of Jesus, he said, was most effectively done the more your organization remains invisible. Invisibility and a kind of plasticity. That is, anyone was welcome to the prayer breakfasts or to the small group fellowships they had. They've made prayer, Jesus, a kind of all-inclusive tent. And so every president, every sitting president, dating back to Dwight Eisenhower, have all attended the National Prayer Breakfast. And it's also included, though, 
operatives from Russia. I don't know if you remember Marina Butina, the Russian woman who was actually a foreign agent. She's pleaded guilty. That was where she was making her primary connections, was through the prayer breakfast. Genocidal dictators, Muslim potentates have all attended. It was very much involved in the crushing of domestic labor early on and had an international effort to promote a kind of anti-gay lesbian agenda in Africa and in Romania. And so the guy, that Jeff Charlotte, who actually was part of this, and then he himself began to question it, he says the organization revolves around Jesus, but Jesus is just an empty center. It, the main point is political power. The stated agenda of the group, this is their own statement, is that they would connect with financiers, industrialists, congressmen, television, industry, news industry, state governments, seminaries, and churches, and junior executives. In other words, the whole point of the organization is power and influence, and this covers a, a multitude of sins. In the documentary, they give primary importance to this organization, to the rise of Donald Trump. I don't know if you remember who Mark Sanford was. He was the governor and congressman. He said, oh, I'm out hiking on the Appalachian Trail. He was actually seeing his girlfriend somewhere else, and he just decided he should resign, but he was also part of this prayer breakfast, and they persuaded him, no, God has chosen you, you can't resign, and he didn't, and now he's running for president, in fact. So evangelicalism, with its focus on future heavenly rewards, imputed righteousness, penal substitution, faith devoid of works, Maybe it just is the perfect empty vessel. The ethics of the meek and lowly Jesus is as disconnected from the family's pursuit of power as it is from maybe the sexual purity is from Jimmy Swaggart or nonviolence from Jerry Falwell or identity with the poor from Joel Osteen. A religion with an empty center reveals its structuring principle, I think, by what it pursues. Power, sex, money represent the object of desire. And it indicates that ideology reigns in place of the anti-ideology of the faith of Christ. And so, to state it most harshly, I think evangelicalism just reproduces forms of idolatrous religion, mainly because it's of the same mold. Nothing is made an absolute something. And the presumption of a kind of fundamental antagonism. We mainly know these groups and people by what they're against. They're always against something, and that is definitive of who and what they are. You know, it's, oh, it's the foreigners against citizens, it's the liberals, you know, they're causing all the problem against the conservatives, or it's the heterosexuals against the homosexuals. But it means definition by opposition. And so as with evangelicalism, the family takes as one of its primary tenets the opposition to any kind of illicit sex, gay lesbian sex. Think here of Jimmy Swaggart, Ted Haggard, who was the president of the National Association of Evangelicals just a kind of endless line of hellfire preachers. That is, I think that in their focus, in their focus on things that certainly we don't want to support these things, but they become so obsessed 
with a particular agenda that they become intolerable of people. What it seems to say is their own desire is structured by the very thing they are against. This was Ted Haggard who he was known for his sermons on anti-homosexuality and all the time he was having a homosexual affair. He explained on television, well, we're all unrighteous, you know. Jesus says, knowing their thoughts, he says, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. God's kingdom does not do evil. It does not engage in violence. It does not engage in unrighteousness to establish itself. And the kingdoms of this world will show themselves, I think, because they are willing then to engage in evil, to do violence, to establish peace, to do evil, to attain goodness. Paul will describe this, it's constituted even in an individual, as one given over to the law. That is that God perceived as synonymous with this law, and I think that's the problem, is not God at all, but a kind of extension, a kind of projection onto who they think God is. And a self and God constituted in opposition depends upon a kind of double exception. I think that's the contradiction here. God prohibits the things he does in these people's view. Violence, genocide, continual anger, the demand for sacrifice. And the ego or love is the symptom of a prohibition. They stand against each other. And of course this is precisely the kind of opposition, the agonistic struggle that Paul is writing against. Ted Haggard, maybe his explanation of his faith gets at this. He said that Christianity is a belief system. I think that's part of the problem. Instead of saying it's a way, it's an identity, it's a set of practices, he says it's just a belief system and we expect that people will sin. He said this to Larry King, you know, Larry, Jesus says, I came for the unrighteous, not for the righteous. So as soon as I became worldwide unrighteous, I knew Jesus had come for me. <laughs> In this understanding, belief is one step removed from identity. The faith of Christ in this understanding really makes no room for human desire, human embodiment. While it allows desire to implicitly structure the religion. That is, I think there's no accident that these people just keep committing the same sins that they're preaching against. Because what they're against is precisely what is structuring their whole religion. And maybe in this sense, Donald Trump is the ideal representative of evangelicalism in that he puts on full display the transgressive pleasures his followers can vicariously enjoy. There's a scene in the documentary interviewing Pat Robertson, and he just begins to smile with delight as he's describing the sexual exploits of God's anointed. That's his words, talking about Donald Trump. So where the real world engagement of Christ's ethics, his challenge of the principalities and powers, his overcoming of death, is not put into place, I believe ideology replaces the faith of Christ. Enforcing the law, denying illicit pleasure to others, oppressing in the name of freedom, creating identity by what it opposes, 
And so the family evangelicalism, I believe it just illustrates the same thing. It's just, I think the whole system is imploding. Paul taught that whatever earthly struggles disciples found themselves involved in, they must understand that the real struggle was against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, looking here at Ephesians 6.12, of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. First Peter, Satan is an roaring lion, an ever-present reality to Jesus and his disciples. And so the idea here is that Christ came to challenge the principalities and powers that rule in this world, not to utilize those powers to establish his kingdom, but to establish his kingdom over and against those powers. Beyond the frequent references to Satan and demons, we find Paul, Peter, others making reference to spiritual powers, which of course are embodied in real world rulers. We read about rulers, principalities, powers, authorities, Romans 8, 38, 1 Corinthians, dominions, Ephesians, cosmic powers, thrones. It's very clear we're talking about kings, presidents, emperors, rulers, elemental spirits of the universe. Paul says. So according to the New Testament, the central thing Jesus did was to drive out the prince of this world. That is, he's defeating the logic, the prince, the the power of this world. Why would we rely on this prince or his sub-princes and imagine this is his kingdom? The very first Christian sermon, according to Luke, centered on Jesus' cosmic victory. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. And he's quoting here, this is in Acts 2, but he's quoting from Psalms 110 verse 1. I believe the most quoted passage in the New Testament from the Old Testament. And one of the key things that we draw from this is that we should no longer be deluded and deceived. In times past, God overlooked people's ignorance, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. We are no longer under the principalities and powers of this world, or we shouldn't be. We're no longer under the law, the logic, the form of thought of people of this world or we shouldn't be, we're no longer slaves to the principles and powers. We have been set free. And those under the law are sometimes pictured, you know, this is the difference. They're pictured as children. They actually maybe needed the equivalent of some sort of worldly kingdom. But we are no longer children. Jesus tells the disciples they are no longer like slaves, but they are his friends. That is that we are rulers, we are a culture, we are a people called out of this world's kingdoms. Paul pictures the Christians in the same way. While we were children, we were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. I'm afraid what I've been depicting is a church held under the elemental principles. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman born under the law, 
so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. I'm reading from Galatians 4, 4 to 6 here. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts. I believe we're describing people who have come to maturity, the kingdom of God that is come of age, that Christ rules in this kingdom. We do not look to the kings, potentates, presidents, and dictators of this world for our ethical understanding and guidance. So there is something which is called Christianity that does not deserve the name. It is a perverse Christianity, a Christianity that I believe would establish peace through war, a Christianity willing to hurt and harm people in the name of Christ that would sacrifice the other for the self. This Christianity confuses the nation state, you know, the United States with the kingdom of God. It confuses the principalities and powers of this world with the principles and powers of Christ. This perverse type of Christian simply imagines that they are the instrument of God, establishing his kingdom and willing to justify every kind of evil in the name of Christ. In other words, this perverse Christianity is just one more ideology, one more idolatrous religion, one more mode of systemic evil. Paul says in Ephesians 4, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We have put on the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. We are no longer to be children tossed to and fro by the waves of the sea, by the political moment, by the culture of which we are part, by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. We can name the idol. We are no longer deceived. We can understand the way that evil functions. And we are to come out from among them and be a separate people. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have been moved by this podcast, please remember to share on social media. If you would like to know more about Forging Plowshares, would like to contact us with questions, want to ask about how you can get involved, or for more information about how you can support this ministry, please go to our website at forgingplowshares.org.